My name's Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church Denver. If you're new or newish, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're one of the good oldies, I love you too, okay? Welcome. Um, if you're online or in person, I love all of you guys. I'm so glad that you're here today. We're all about helping people follow Jesus, and that means taking that next step of faith. So it, it might be with your finances or it might be some other way, but we're gonna encourage you to keep following Jesus and help others do the same. So we are going to finish up our series today through the book of Habakkuk, our series, A New Hope. We're gonna be in chapter three of that book as we look at just this powerful passage of what it means to make it through the valley. You know, as a pastor, every single Sunday, I know that there are multiple individuals in this room and joining us online who are in a valley, who are struggling. Sometimes people share something with me right as I'm about to walk up on the stage and it's boom, it's a bomb, cancer diagnosis death of someone they love, lost a job. And I want you to know that because some of you right now are not in a valley, but there is someone else around you in this area who's struggling right now. It might be financially. They just got laid off. They're thinking about bankruptcy. They don't even know how to make it to the next paycheck. Or, or it might be with a health diagnosis. And they're wondering, when will I ever get healthy again? Can I get healthy again? It seems like it's taking forever. Maybe it's a loss of someone. I don't know. There are lots of different valleys we go through. And this message is to help you make it through. You know what a valley is, right? Okay, you've had the mountaintop. Things have been good in your life. You know, hey, I've been there where things are great, but now you're in the valley. And some of these valleys go on and on. And it seems like I can't see the end of it. I don't know when I can get back up the mountain where things are gonna be good again. And so when you're in that valley, when you're in that trial, when you're in that period of struggle, we need to learn how to make it through. So today's message is for those of you, especially in the valley right now. So if that's you, I want you to pay attention. I want you to focus today and really learn what God has to say to you today so we can make it through the valley. Because as we sung, sometimes we go through the valley even of the shadow of death. We gotta learn to make it through. But if you're here and you're like, no, Matt, things are pretty good right now. Life is good. You need to pay even more close attention for two reasons. One, because in the future, maybe a long time from now, you will go through a valley and you need to remember how to make it through. So you gotta take notes, you gotta study focus. And you also need the second reason to help others who are in their valleys, okay? So we're gonna learn today what it means to go through the valley. And in this book of Habakkuk, we've looked at the minor prophet, not because he is minor or unimportant, but because it's a very short book of the Bible, the book of Habakkuk. It's just three chapters, but it is powerful. And what we've seen in this book is that Habakkuk, this prophet, it's different than some of the other prophecies because Habakkuk is angry, he's upset. In his life and in their nation, things were really bad. And he's crying out to God and complaining to God. So basically the book so far we've seen are two complaints. He complains to God and then God speaks to him. And in week one, we learned that even if things are terrible and they're looking like they're gonna get worse, we need to embrace God. We need to hold on to him, wrestle him, take our questions, take our doubts, take our complaints to him and just hold on. Embrace God. That was week one. In week two, we looked at the second complaint and it was a little more philosophical. It was a heady message because we looked at that chapter and saw what are the five reasons why God allows evil? It's a difficult question. What's the problem of evil in our world? But we looked at five reasons why God allows evil in this world. And then last week, we zeroed in, we focused in on one verse, Habakkuk 2, 4, the most famous verse out of that book. And really we just focused on one phrase. Does anybody remember what it was? The righteous will live by faith. And 
to be right with God, to be righteous, that those who God looks on are righteous are not the perfect people who do all the right things and don't say all the wrong words. No, they're the people that live rightly by faith. It's through trust and complete faith in God. And those are the people that are righteous in God's eyes. We were challenged to live in faith. And I think that's going to apply, especially today as we're in the valley. So what we're gonna learn today is that in the valley, there are three things that we need to do. Three things we learn from Habakkuk's words and life. The three things are to remember, to request, to rejoice. So in the valley, remember, request, rejoice. I think you can remember that, right? Maybe you can, I think you need to say that out loud. Remember, request, rejoice. Let's do that one more time. Remember, request, rejoice. So those are the three things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write those down. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, download that. You can use, find the Arise Church Denver event and save that and make sure you have the notes because you might need this in the future when you are in that valley again. So we need to learn those three things. Remember, request, and rejoice. So let's start with the first one. Do you remember what it is? <laughs> Remember, okay? Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and sing, do you remember? Oh, hey, some people did it. You, all right, last service, nobody did it. I'm glad you guys are ready to sing today. I like it. Do you remember? Okay, so we need to remember, and that's the first thing that we're going to do. Okay, so we are in Habakkuk chapter three, verse one. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shingionoth. Mm, did you guys like Shingionoth? It's a musical term. You might remember the song from the 80s. I'm kidding. We don't really know what Shingionoth means, right? It's this weird word that occurs only two times in the Bible, here and in Psalm 7, a psalm that was written, a song that was written by David. It's some kind of musical term. We're not quite sure what it means, and I don't know if it really matters. It would have meant something in those days, but what we see here is, is that chapter 3 is different than the two chapters that came before. Chapter one and two, it was Habakkuk's complaint to God and God speaking back to him. Here, after that, there's like this transition, a change, and now Habakkuk is writing a song. It says a prayer, but this would have been a song. That's what we call Psalms, a song prayer. There's 150 of them in the book of Psalms. And then here is another one that Habakkuk wrote. We know very little about Habakkuk as a historic figure. There may be some evidence that he was a Levite, meaning he wasn't a priest, but he worked in the temple. So he wasn't necessarily the preacher standing up in front of everybody, but he was the worship leader, okay? This is Pastor Sam, and he's artistic, and he's gonna write now his song, and we know it's a song because at the very end of the book, in the very last verse, it says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Okay, so he is a musician. He's written this to be played, to be sung, probably in the worship service. And let's start reading his prayer in verse two as we learn to remember. In verse two, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Notice how, I just wanna throw this in there, that Lord both times is capitalized here. If you ever see that in your English version where the word Lord is capitalized, it actually is the proper name of God, Yahweh. That's why earlier this morning we sang the song, Yahweh, we love you. That's what we're singing, okay? Lord, Yahweh, we love you. And he's saying, Yahweh, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Yahweh. And then he says this, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he starts out by saying, I've heard. In the past, you have done some stuff. I've heard of it and I'm remembering it. 
And then he goes on now in the next 13 verses to write a very poetic version of remembering God, the things God has done throughout history. And it's very poetic, it's, it's musical, it's, um, you know, he's like an Enneagram 4, very artistic type guy, if you know what that means. And he is writing, it's, it's, it's not like what you'd expect with a portrait, it's a little more like Picasso, okay? But he's describing what God has done in very poetic forms, just like you'd get in a lot of music, And the first thing we see in verse three, he says, God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. So here he is talking about two locations, Timon and Mount Paran. You guys know where those are? No, you probably don't, okay? Even if you ace geography in college, you might not know where these places are. These two locations were actually in the Sinai Peninsula. And Mount Paran may be another name for Mount Sinai. The mountain where Moses went up on the mountain and boom, God showed up in his glory, handed the 10 commandments, which were written with his finger, and God showed up in glory. When Moses was on the mountain, there were thunderclouds, there was earthquakes. People were terrified of what was happening up there. And then when Moses came down, they made him put on a veil because his face was glowing with the radiance and glory of God. This is God's real encounter with his new people, Israel, that he'd called out of slavery and now they were a new people and he was telling them how to live. So Habakkuk is like, I remember when you showed up in glory at the beginning of our people as a nation. I remember when you showed up in glory. And then he goes on in verse five. He says, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He's probably talking about the Exodus. When God's people were still in slavery and God showed up and sent the 10 plagues, you might remember that, the 10 plagues, okay, on Egypt to free God's people out of slavery. So God showed up to free his people. And Habakkuk saying, remember that? Remember when you let us out in the Exodus? And then if you jump down to verse 11, he writes, sun and moon stood still in the heavens. He's probably referring to the time in Joshua chapter 10, when Joshua was leading God's people into the promised land and they were in a battle and God literally made the sun stop in the sky so that God's people could win a battle. These are miracle after miracle, and over and over again, Habakkuk is saying, remember that? Remember what you did in the past, God, when you showed up in power and glory performing miracles? We need to remember what God has done in the past. This is why we still tell the stories of the Old Testament. This is why we sing about them. We sing songs like, same God. God, remember when you shut the mouths of the lions? Okay, you can shut these people that are criticizing me right now, right? God, remember when you made Jericho wall come tumbling down? Whatever walls are in my way, I know you can take them down. God, if you sent your son Jesus to walk on water, what I'm walking through is nothing. And if Jesus rose from the dead, I can conquer anything through your power. See, remembering what God has done is powerful. That's why we sing same God, we sing another song, do it again. Same reason, like you did that in the past, I remember it and I'm calling that power for the present. When we remember, when we recall, when we retell the stories of what God has done in the past, it can give us courage for the present. And that's the first thing we need to do 
in the valley. It's to remember. And it's not just, though, what God has done in human history in the past. We need to remember what God has done in our own lives. Look what Habakkuk does next. In verse 16, he finishes up his poetry about what God has done in the past. And in verse 16, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Can you see that trembling? His legs trembled. And he said, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He knows things are about to get worse as the Babylonians are coming. That's what God's already told him. But what he's doing in preparation for this valley, as he's going through this valley, is remembering what God has done in his own life. He's recalling a divine encounter with God's glory. Now, probably he's referring to the two times God has already spoken to him in chapters one and two. But whatever it is, he's saying, there was a time, God, where you showed up in my life and it, I felt it. Have you ever had an encounter with God where you felt it physically? Your heart pounds in your chest. You feel it in your bones. It is overwhelming. It might make you even shake. And when you have an encounter with God like that, you need to remember it. You need to remember those moments if you've had them. If you've been in a worship service, maybe, and tears have streamed down your face as the glory of God overwhelmed you. Or maybe you were on the side of the road or in a snowstorm. I don't care where you were, but if God showed up in your life, don't ever forget it. If you know that you have been a sinner and God has saved you, remember that. Amen? Remember what God has done in your own life. And if you've had those encounters, you should probably write it down like Habakkuk did. Because when we go through the valley and we're not seeing God move, we're not feeling him in those moments, we need to remember what he's done in the past to help us in the present. We gotta remember, we gotta remember what he has done in our own lives. So write it down. I know in my own life, I should never worry about money because I remember back in the time in college where I was working at the dorms and and there was a month long winter break and I owed $620, I did all the calculations and I had $0. And I was trying to figure out how to get through it and I literally prayed and said, God, give me $620. I wrote it down in my journal because I was like, I need this. And I prayed. I didn't tell anybody, but my uncle called me up and said, hey, you're out for Christmas break. Why don't you come? I'll fly you out to California. You work for me for a couple minutes, a couple weeks. And I was like, sure. He didn't tell me how much he was gonna pay me I just jumped at any chance I could get to make more money, right? And I went out there, and at the end of those two weeks, he cut me a check for $700. I was like, God gave me this 620 plus a little spending money. Like, isn't that what God does? He shows up, and I remember when God provided for me, so I know he can provide for me in the future. I remember, too, in my own life, going through five years of infertility. Let me tell you, that was a valley, And we could not see the end of it. We had no idea when it was gonna happen. And we prayed again and again and again, crying out to God. And I remember when he gave us McKinley. So if no matter what the future valley I go through, I know he came through in the past and he can come through in the present. I remember in our own church's history, when I first got here in 2017, turns out we were kind of in a financial crisis. And three months into my time here, I realized that we had three weeks worth of cash. The bank wouldn't give us a loan and we were about to have to go under, okay? We couldn't pay our bills. 
And I fell on my knees crying out to God. We all did, our elder board, we, we, we were crying out to God, trying to figure out what to do. And I remember standing on this stage to tell you guys, oh, by the way, I need to cut $70,000 and raise an additional $50,000 right now. And God showed up and through some of your generosity, do you guys remember this? Some of your generosity, God provided and we were able to keep the doors open and keep moving forward. Aren't you grateful that God did that in our past? I am. So no matter what crisis our church faces in the future, I know that we can do it because of what he has done in the past. I remember. But it's so easy to forget, isn't it? And that's why the first thing you need to do in the valley is to remember. Remember. The second thing is to request. To request. Don't just say, well, God, you've done it in the past. I know you can do it again. No, let's ask him to do it. Let's ask him to step up, show up, and show off. Let's ask him to help us. Jump back to verse two where the request started in, in Habakkuk three. Verse two, Habakkuk says, Lord, I have seen, or I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them. <laughs> you did it in the past, do it again. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He knows God's wrath is coming, his judgment on the nation of Israel for their sin. He knows bad things are gonna happen to the bad people who deserve it. But he's like, also remember some mercy. Give mercy, give salvation, protect people who actually don't deserve it. That's what mercy is. But he's asking God to do something in the present and in the future. And, and that's a request, isn't it? So we need to do the same thing. We need to request God to step up and do things. And let me tell you this, this it means that we are admitting we can't do it on our own. We learned that last week. The righteous will live by faith, not in themselves. So we gotta ask God, when you step up and finally ask God, I need you to do this because I don't know how to come up with $620. <laughs> I don't know how to get through this situation. I can't manufacture a baby. I can't heal myself of cancer no matter how much I'm eating that healthy diet. Like it can't, I can't do it on my own. And in that desperation, we request God, he shows up. Philip Yancey said that human beings do not readily admit desperation. But when they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. So request from God. Put big requests before him. Didn't we learn that in our first series this year? Bring big things to God. Huge things, impossible things. And lay them at God's feet. Request is the second thing we must do. And don't just do it once. Don't just do it once. Now I want you guys to look at a footnote for a second. I showed this to Sawyer and he said, oh, you're nerding out this week. I'm like, yes, you guys ready to nerd out with me? At the end of verse, the first line of verse three, there's a footnote if you're in the NIV. Some versions actually have, have this in there. But if you look down, it says, the Hebrew has Selah, a word of uncertain meaning here and at the middle of verse nine and at the end of verse 13. You guys see that little footnote? So the word Selah in some translations is kept in there at those three places. Now this word Selah, once again, is a musical term. It actually occurs 90 different times in the Old Testament, all of them in the Psalms except here in Habakkuk. Now we don't know exactly what this word Selah means, something musical. Based on what the word sounds like in Hebrew, it might mean something like look up, and yes, maybe look up to God, but I think just practically look up on the page. Now, some scholars think that what it's saying is that it's time to sing the chorus, okay? If you guys ever looked at sheet music and there's all sorts of notations in there, it's like 
DSL Coda and you're like trying to figure out where to go next. If you've ever uh, played music or maybe sang in choir, you're like, okay, then your eyes have to jump on the page to where you're supposed to go. So we don't know for sure. But if I had to guess, I would say that those three times this word Selah occurs here in Habakkuk's Psalm is that they are saying it's time for the chorus. Verse one, chorus. Verse two, chorus. Verse three, chorus. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what a chorus is, right? You remember uh, the Super Bowl show last week? Okay, you don't know a single word Ludacris is singing, but you get to the chorus and you say, yeah, yeah, right? It's time for the chorus. We, we know that. You mumble the words in the verse. You sing loud the words in the chorus because it occurs again and again. We love choruses. And I think what's going on here is that Habakkuk is saying this verse. Remember what God did? Okay, now sing the chorus. Remember what God did? Sing the chorus. And he says it over and over and over again. And it draws us back to the chorus, which would be then verse two, which says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath, remember mercy. It goes back to the request. The chorus is always the request. So it's like four times in this one song, you're supposed to bring your request to God. And I think that's how we need to start praying. I'm in the valley, God, and I need you to do this. I'm in the valley, I need you to do this. We say it over and over again. Now, Jesus teaches us that we are not heard because of repeating many words. We're not, okay? It's not like we need to say a chant over and over again and then God will hear us. That's what Eastern religions teach. Jesus said, God knows what we're gonna pray before we even ask. So then why do we ask again and again and again? Well, Jesus also taught us to ask, seek, and knock. He told us to be like the persistent widow who's trying to get something from the judge and she went again and again and again and annoyed him till finally he's like, fine, you can have it. That's how we're supposed to pray. To ask, to seek, to knock. And we're gonna keep asking until we hear. We're gonna keep seeking until we find and we're gonna keep knocking until God opens the door. So we've got to request on repeat. That's your chorus is your request. And I'll tell you, through those years of infertility, Melissa and I, at least three times a day, morning, noon, and night, prayed for a baby. At least. We got other people to pray with us. Like my mom's friends who I've never even met were praying for us. One of my best friends from college, his daughter was praying for us so that when I shared the news that we were finally praying, he's like, that's amazing. My five-year-old daughter's gonna be so happy because she has prayed every single day that she would have a baby. That's what we need to do, request on repeat over and over and over again because that's what we have to do in the valley because we don't know when the valley's gonna be over. That's how you make it through. Request on repeat. And because it can take so long, that leads us to the third point. We need to rejoice. We need to rejoice while we're in the valley. We don't wait till everything's figured out, everything's fixed and there's a solution. When we're back up on the mountain peak, oh, thank you, God. No, 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 we have to rejoice in the valley. And that's what Habakkuk shows us at the end of his song. This is the outro, okay? Verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. He's saying that there's no fruit to eat. This means you'd have no food in your refrigerator, none in the cupboard, and the grocery store isn't stocked. 
That's what life was like. He said that, that there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. This means his business has no even chance or prospects to get better in the future. This means you're laid off and you've gone through everyone you know on LinkedIn and you still don't have a job. And he's saying, while that's happening, yet I will rejoice. And that's what we should do as well. In the valley, rejoice. So what does it mean to rejoice? I think initially we think to sing, and I think that's a big part of it. I think that's one way to get ourselves to rejoice. But to rejoice is actually to find happiness in God. To find happiness, true happiness in God. That's why we rejoice in the Lord, and we're joyful in God, my Savior, Because get this, you might not have any money in your bank account. You might not have a job. You might not have friends and family and everyone is gone. And if you have nothing left and you're in the valley, you still have God. And because of that, you can rejoice. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you in the valley, through the valley, even through the valley of the shadow of death. And you have something to praise God for, to rejoice in God and say, I still have him on my side. I will rejoice. I think A.W. Tozer was right when he said that if God is exalted, a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. It's gonna completely change your outlook. You're gonna find that you can have happiness in the sorrow, in the valley. And rejoicing, especially through music, by praising, singing, worshiping, is the way that we get to happiness. It's the way that we get to happiness. There was a study done at a London School of Economics, so not Christian, in other words. They studied 9,000 adults over a four-year span. And what they found was that those adults who worshiped regularly in church were much able to deal with depression and handle physical illnesses, including those that would lead to death. They were happier, less depressed, and could make it through whatever they had. So there were epidemiologists looking at this and they're saying like, yeah, going to church is is really good for your health. It's really good for your mental health. If doctors really thought about it, they'd start prescribing people to go to church. I'm serious about this. One of the healthiest things you can do is to practice the habit of worshiping weekly. It's one of the best things for your health and for your life. Because you are reminded again and again, no matter how bad things are, no matter how depressed you might be during the week, you come in here and you remember that you have God on your side. And there's other people around you going through these valleys too. And we can worship our God anyways. It changes our perspective. It changes our moods even. So when you're feeling sad and depressed and you're like, oh, maybe I should just sleep in today. That is Satan trying to steal your joy. This is where you need to be the most I don't care what you're going through, you need to get yourself to worship weekly. And it's gonna change your spirit as you do it. I want you to worship until you feel better. I don't care how long it takes. And I tell you, I admire people like Tammy Naren, who kept worshiping through her cancer. Or Jess, in the front row, praising God after losing your husband. When we can do that, that's what we all need to do to worship no matter what is coming our way. I I love my wife, Melissa, too. I I love hanging out and talking to people. I'm I'm sometimes out there, like after the service started, talking with people, yakking it up, right? And she's like, Matt, we gotta get in there to worship. Like no matter what's going on, it's time to worship. 
She will put on worship music in, in the morning no matter what's going on because that's what she needs to get through her day. And we should all be like that. That we need to praise when we're in the pain. Okay, let me tell you guys this. When you're hungry, what do you do? Eat, okay? This is not a tough, I'm not trying to trick you, okay? When you're hungry, you eat. When you're thirsty, what do you do? Drink, thank you guys. Okay, when you're worried, what should you do? Worship. When you're in pain, you praise. When you're suffering, struggling, in sorrow, you need to sing even if you don't feel like it because that is actually the antidote to what you're suffering. We need to rejoice. Yet I will rejoice. That's how we make it through the valley. And you know what happens? God changes something inside of us. Look at the very last verse, verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 19 of Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Oh, I love this verse. Isn't this so different from his complaints in the first two chapters? Something has changed in Habakkuk, even though his situation has not changed at all. Yet he's like, I have strength from God now, and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. What does that mean? Okay. Have you ever seen deer running through the mountains? We get the privilege of that here in Colorado, okay? When you see deer running through the mountains, it doesn't matter the terrain. It doesn't matter if there's rocks. They're doing parkour over boulders, okay? They're running through fields. They're running up cliffs. I want to show you this little clip I found online this week. Look at this deer. Do you see that cliff? Boom. I want feet like deer. I want hooves, right? God gives us feet like hooves. I think Sam needs to write a song called Feet Like Hooves, right? Because we need to know that when we run, there will be rocky terrain. There will be cliffs. There will be times when we are in the valley. The terrain is gonna be rough. And yet when God is on our side, when he is our strength, we can have feet like hooves. Just running through what, no matter what's going on. It doesn't harm us. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we won't fear because he's with us. We can tread upon the heights. That's what God does for us in the valley. When we remember, request, and rejoice. So if you want feet like hooves, remember, request, rejoice. Because let me tell you, no matter what valley you're going through, God's own son, Jesus, went through his valley. Though he did not deserve it, had done nothing wrong, he suffered, he struggled. He had his friends abandon him, another one betray him. He was arrested unjustly. He was convicted of our crimes and sins. And he was hung on a cross where he suffered and died. He went through the valley of the shadow of death. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead to prove that no matter what valley we go through, God can get us through it. So let's remember that. Request that he gets us through what we're going through and rejoice the whole time. It says in Hebrews 12 too, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So we too can rejoice no matter the situation. So remember, request, and rejoice, and then do it on repeat, okay? Let's pray.
Lord God, um, I pray especially right now for those who are in a valley, who are not through their struggle, their suffering, their grief. They don't know when it's gonna end. Lord God, speak to their souls right now. Let this be a moment that they write in their journal and they say, God showed up in my life. I know he's real. I know he loves me and I know he's gonna get me through. And if that's you, with eyes closed, um, if you're in, in a valley right now, I just want you to slip your hand in the air so I can say a special prayer blessing for you. If you're in a valley, put your hand in the air. I see those hands. And Lord God, I know you see them. And I pray right now that you bless every man, woman, and child who's raising their hands right now who's suffering, who's struggling, who doesn't know how to get through. Things don't feel like they're getting better. They're in a valley, Lord God. But I pray that you would give them renewed strength, that you would be their strength, that you would be their portion, that you would help them get through the valley and give them feet like hooves so they can tread upon the heights. Lord God, bless them in the name of your son. You can put your hands down. Now with eyes still closed, I know there's others of you in here that have maybe never put your faith in God's son, Jesus Christ. And if you wanna make it through the valleys of life, and if you wanna make it through the very last valley, that valley of the shadow of death, you need Jesus on your side because he offers you forgiveness for your past. He gives you new life, a better life now, and eternal life on the other side of the grave. So if you want that today, you need to say a simple prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior. So with eyes closed, would you please repeat this prayer after me? And if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you even through the valley for the rest of my life. With eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we wanna celebrate with you and even give you a little book to just help you on your spiritual journey. So uh, could you put your hand in the air on the count of three and hold it up high? One, two, three. Put your hand high in the air if you made that decision. I see this hand over here, one over here, a couple in the middle. Keep those hands up. Let's celebrate with those who are making decisions today. Lord God, we're just so grateful. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up until um, one of our ushers hands you a book. There's one, one and, and Lord God, I'm just so grateful that you love us, that you care about us, that you help us through the valley. Lord God, I'm grateful that you sent your own son to die on a cross, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all righteousness, to give us new life now and eternal life ahead. And Lord God, we're just so grateful for that. For those who just made a decision, Lord God, fill their hearts with a new fresh joy that they would not be able to explain any other way except that God showed up today and they'd remember that forever. Lord God, we are grateful that you are a good and loving God, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I'm Matt Wolf, lead pastor at Arise Church Denver, and we're all about helping people follow Jesus, and we want to help you follow Jesus. Because of that, if you're newish, even if you're just checking us out online, go down below in the description and fill out that form at arisedenver.com new. And if this message has impacted you at all, please go to arisedenver.com give so that you can give back and help more people find out the message of Jesus Christ.